Good morning, Dorisville. We are glad that you are here today on this first day. And that song and that video is what this year is all about. It's about the greatest story ever, ever told. We'll begin today in our book of Genesis. And uh, this is the one time that the Bible verse, the memory verse, and the scripture goes hand in hand. So if you want to take your Bibles, please, and turn to Genesis and chapter 1. The greatest story, his story, from Genesis to Revelation, from the beginning to the end, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. It's an incredible thing to know that in the Bible, it's one story that one thread that goes all the way through the history of mankind and will continue until the very last day until God says it's over. And it's all about Jesus Christ. I am so excited about this year. I guess three or four or five months ago, we came up with the idea. Judy and I were driving. uh, I guess we're on vacation back in October. And we got this idea about, and look on the wall there, you can see it. His story, my story in 2012 taking the Bible and going from Genesis to Revelation and looking at God's story and listen carefully how it applies to my life. Because here's something crucial. All that we're going to do this year with the Word of God, if we don't apply the Word of God, it's just another thing we did. If I'm going to take anything away from 2011, it's going to be two things. First, just going to church. Just going to church really will not impact your life. It's a good habit to have on Sunday morning, but just getting up and going to church will not change your family. It will not make you a better parent. It will not make you a better person. So that's the first thing. Just going to church is not enough. Secondly, and really in hand in hand, just hearing the Word of God is not enough. We have got to, are you ready, apply the Word of God. So as we have a memory verse every week, and as we read through the Bible together as a church family, as we attempt throughout this year... To preach a sermon from every book in the Bible, all 66 books, sometimes on Sunday morning, sometimes on Sunday night, perhaps a few Wednesday nights. As we attempt to do that, unless we apply what we hear, then it will make no difference in our lives. And guys, I guess I'm getting old, but I want to make a difference. I want to make a difference in your life. As a teacher of the Word of God, I want to help you parents, you young parents particularly, to be a better parent through teaching the Word of God. I know, Brent, this is your desire. Every pastor's, every teacher's desire. I, I hope that all of us, throughout our journey, where we are, median life or our senior adult life, that as we continue to apply the Word of God, that we will make a difference in this world, in this story. And like I said, it's just incredible to know that whether you go back to where we're going in Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 3, or whether you go to the last book in the book of Revelation, last chapter in the book of the Revelation, you see Jesus. You see the Jesus factor. And we found a video this week that really speaks about creation and talks about the Jesus factor. Would you show it, please? We have only to look around us to see the story of our planet. A few simple truths. The way the pieces work in harmony. The rhythm and order of life that has been here since the beginning. But if we look a little deeper beyond what our theories and microscopes tell us, and begin to consider the purpose, we find beneath all the layers that basic building block, the Jesus element. And when we see that, we see the world for the first time, a world created to express the love of a creator. 
we see a spirit empowering every element. And in turn, we find the answers that we seek. The story of our planet, where eternity embraces humanity. The Jesus factor. It is Jesus Christ that makes all of the difference in our lives. I hope you're now at Genesis chapter 1. And, you know, when you have a great story, if you read any great novels, often the author at the beginning of the book will tell you the characters. He'll introduce all the characters in that novel. And that's exactly what we want to do on this first Sunday of 2012. We want to do the great meet and greet, and we want to look at the main players in the story of humanity. I put on the, on the marquee, Brother Cherry put on the marquee for me this week, you know, the great meet and greet featuring or starring a cast of billions, of billions. And in this great meet and greet, we're going to meet God. And then we're going to meet us. And then we're going to meet Satan or the devil. And then lastly, in Genesis chapter 3, we're going to see the Lord Jesus Christ. The great meet and greet. So let's look first off at God. This is our memory verse. You already said it. It's Genesis 1-1. The Bible says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning. Now, now please note, okay, and I hope you'll take notes this year. Note that that's our beginning and not His. It's the beginning of the world as we know it, but it was not the beginning of God. In fact, in Psalm 90 and verse 2, I think it says something like this, that, that before, Lord, before you gave birth to the mountains, from eternity to eternity, you are God. You cannot go back far enough in time and not find God. Nor can you go far enough in the future and not find God. God is eternal. Say it with me, please. God is eternal. He goes from eternity past to eternity future. So we see then our beginning, but then without, without anything else, in the beginning, God. You know, you normally want something. But all we get from God's Word is, in the beginning, God. Without introduction, and now, from eternity past and eternity future. We have God Almighty. You don't get that. Without any explanation. Without an apology. Do you find yourself today in this skeptical world we live in seemingly trying to apologize for God? But, but, you know, but we don't have all the answers. But, 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 but. And even without defense. God. And that's the way it is. God doesn't try to explain himself. God doesn't apologize for himself. God really doesn't introduce himself. He simply says, I'm God. I am God. And if you're going to be a God follower, you've got to be willing to accept that. You've got to be willing to go with that. In the beginning, God. God is all-powerful. He's omnipotent. That means he has all the power of the universe. God is all-knowing. He's omniscient. He knows everything. God is everywhere. God is omnipresent. There is no greater force anywhere out there. I was going to say the universe, Brent, but it goes so much bigger than the universe. We think the universe is big. Beyond that are billions and billions of more galaxies and stars and universes. That's how big 
our God is. God is holy. The word holy simply means set apart. He is above everything else. God is just, but he's not fair. God is just, but not fair. See, if God was fair, you and I wouldn't be sitting here. Because when we meet us, and we have Genesis chapter 3, and we sinned against the God who's set apart and above all, instantly would have been destroyed. Because that would have been fair. Aren't you glad very often God's not fair? But I'm glad God is just. God is just. He knew the price of sin and then turned around and paid the price of sin himself. That's how just he is. God is righteous. That is, he is right. (laughs) Very often we are not. (laughs) He is right all the time. God, God is a trinity. God exists three in one. He exists as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Three And yet one, some guy once said, some great theologian said this. He said, if you try to explain the Trinity, you will lose your mind. But if you try and deny the Trinity, you'll lose your soul. It's incredible because in verse number two, which we're not going to touch on today, but but in verse number two, it says the Spirit of God, hmm, Father, Son, Spirit, the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the earth. We see in verse 26, which we'll touch on in just a moment, when, when God was creating man, what did he say? How unusual. Let us make man in our image. From Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, God says, I exist as one. I am one God, but I exist in three. And I can't explain it. I, I won't tell you that. And if you can, feel free to come up at the church. Oh, I know someone else going to say, well, Dwayne is kind of like water. You know, there's steam and there's ice and there's liquid. Nice try, but no go. One pastor said, well, it's kind of like an orange. You've got the peel, you've got that white stuff that doesn't taste good, and you've got the yellow meaty stuff. Nice try, but no good. You see, the Trinity, the concept of God and the Trinity is way beyond us. And I kind of like that. I like kind of having a God that's so big and so complex that I can't quite get my arms around it. In fact, listen to this. This is the scripture. In, in, in John chapter 1, verse 1 through 3, and that's our verse next week, Brother Brent. Verse number 1 is, In the beginning was the Word, capital W, Jesus, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him, nothing was made that was made. So God is holy, God is just, God is righteous, God's all-powerful, God's all-knowing, God is everywhere, and God is three, and he's yet one. That's incredible. God is so massively big, and that's what makes him worth following, not only in 2012, but for a lifetime. And this God, the Bible says, this God created the heavens and the earth. He's creator God. In the beginning, in the beginning, he spoke and earth and sky and sea and plant and animals and us were created. He just spoke and it happened. And every time someone places their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, which we'll talk about in a few moments and throughout the year, 
he says, if any man be in Christ, he is a renovation. He's a do-over. He's a second shot. He's a new creation. All things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. I'm going to tell you what. I believe that God created the heavens and the earth. Good place for an amen. I believe he did it in seven days. I believe he did it in seven days. Now, I don't need a theory. But if you need a theory, there's plenty of them floating around there. But I'm just telling you, we should need that. I mean, there's the gap theory. The gap theory says is that on day one, it was a little 24-hour day, and then perhaps thousands or tens of thousands of years passed, and then there was day number two. And then there was thousands and ten thousand years, and then there was day number three. The only problem was that that's not what the Bible teaches. Then there's the theory of that the days were ages. Day one was age one, and it could have been thousands and ten thousands, perhaps millions of years, and then came day two. The only problem is, in the Hebrew, that's just not what the Bible says. And then, and then there's always the other theory. This is a good theory. There's a theory that there was another earth. Because in the idea of the fact that the earth was without form and void, it almost implies that there may have been something else. So, so some people came to this idea. There was a previous earth. And on previous earth, they're like dinosaurs and things like that. And then the earth got destroyed, and God covered it with water, okay? And then it was recreated, and that's where the dinosaurs came from. There's a theory. Here's what I'm going to tell you. I will, when the Bible makes sense, don't make nonsense of it. Get used to it. You don't have all the answers. But I have a God who does. And he's a God who can be trusted. Now, again, I don't ordinarily advocate blind faith. You know, the guys on TV, just send me $10,000 and by faith God will send you a million. I'd be a little cautious about that. I'd be cautious about any preacher that promises something outside the Word of God. But when it comes to God, I just don't have any problem advising you to have blind faith. In fact, let me read to you what it says. In, in 2 Corinthians, in chapter 11, verse 14 through 15, no, oh, wrong place, I'm sorry, Hebrews eleven six. But without faith it is impossible to please God. For he who comes to God, say, he who comes to God, that's good, watch this now, must believe that he is. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So God's word says that if you're going to come to God, you've got to be a believer. You've got to exercise faith. Faith. Now, listen, if you want to do research and all that, that's just grand. But I'm telling you, it boils down to this. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And if you're going to be a God follower, you've got to deal with that. You've got to deal with that. That's the terms and that's conditions that God laid down. And that's who our God is. Well, Dwayne, what do you do when someone walks up? And by the way, I'm not saying you should just, you know, ignore. I think you ought to do research. I think you should be a, a student of apologetics. That is, the ability to defend your faith. That's a good thing. But just don't feel like you've got to apologize for God. 
What do you do, Dwayne, when somebody comes up and says, well, what about, what about? And now you know what I think? I don't know. But I know this. I believe this book. They call me blind faith, call me stupid, call me simplistic. But I'm just telling you, as a witness of what's in my heart, I believe this book. If it's not good enough for you, that's fine. But I'm telling you, it's good enough for me. So God is holy. So God is just. So God is all-powerful. So God is all-knowing. So God is all-present. So God is right. And He is the Creator God. He created initially, and He created new life in us when we trust Jesus Christ as Savior. And speaking of us, where did we come from? Where did we come from? Now, once again, man has a theory. According to him, and I... I'm going to try not to poke fun because that would be so easy doing a, in a friendly crowd like y'all are. But the bottom line is, is of course, you know Darwinism teaches that, that the evolution of life, that, that it, it progressed. And frankly, it did. They think it became, we were a glob of protein and somehow the spark of life came. And from there we moved on and moved on and moved on and moved on. And, and eventually we were created as, or we became what we are today and man. And it's really a you know, I love it when the theories are full of holes. A lot of scientists are wrestling with this. And the reason why is there's a couple of things missing. One is the spark of life. A, a theory of science, a principle of science is, is that nothing comes from nothing. Nothing just pops into existence. It has to come from something. So I want to look at you now and ask you this question. Where's the spark of life? They haven't found it. They haven't been able to find anywhere in the past or in their present research how to create life. That's a real problem for them. And then there's that pesky gap thing again. They, they find a few bones here or there, and they come up with what appears to be half ape, half man, and all of a sudden we see Homo sapien, a man walking upright, but we, we just can't find the middle part. That's a pesky problem. So you've got the absence of the spark of life. You've got the absence of the gap. And most importantly, you've got the absence of truth. You know, I, there's, a, there's a great line. I've used it several times in a movie from the, called The American President. And Michael J. Fox was talking about how the president had changed his values or something like that. And he confronted the president and said, you know, in the absence of truth, men will drink sand. And our world is drinking sand. They're somehow finding it easier to believe that shebang, and it was, than in the beginning, God. Even though the absence of, even though the gap theory and the spark of life, they're finding it easier to believe that we evolved. And our job as believers, if you're a God follower, is to help them understand the truth. To help them understand what the Word of God says. And really what common sense tells you. For goodness sake, look at the face of a child. Look at the face of a child. You know, we had a new baby born. Uh, I don't think they made it today, but Chris and Lashana Wallace had a baby on December the 20th. Her name was Kenzie Marie Jo Wallace. She weighed 6 pounds, 8 ounces, and was 19 and a half inches long. And just for your information, Dora Newton is a great-grandma, and Rodney Amy Wallace are the grandparents. Now, let me just tell you what to do. Rod, you're not here, are you? 
Okay, Rod, tell you what, I want you to see Rod afterwards and tell him, your grandson looks like a monkey to me. And then run like the devil because he's going to hit you. You can't look at... I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I know granddaughter. I'm sorry. Thank you, Blake. You can't look at the face of a newborn child and not see God. Come on, guys. Come on. So where did we come from? The Word God tells us. Then God said, here it is, let us. Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Now, now what does that mean? Does that mean we physically look like God? Not at all. But I want you to get this if you get nothing else. Like God, we are an eternal being. When we were given the spark of life, and I believe that begins at conception, when we were given that spark of life, we will live forever somewhere. We'll either spend eternity in heaven with God for as long as that progresses, forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Or we'll spend eternity separated from God in a place of punishment called hell forever and forever and forever and forever. We are eternal beings. And we are triune being. We have body, soul, and spirit. We have physical, emotional, and spiritual. We are a very complex organism. Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. And then watch this. It's so cool. And then God says, we're going to give them a job to do. They are going to rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, all the earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. And then God blessed them. Whoa! How cool is that? He didn't just, he didn't just create them, gave the earth a spin, said, Hope y'all work it all out. He made a determination to be a personal God. It's shown when the Bible says that God was walking in the evening looking for Adam and Eve after they had sinned. It's a personal relationship. It's shown in his desire to bring you into relationship with him thousands of years later. That he could be your, say it with me, personal God. Come on, personal God. Not an Allah God, not a Buddha God. A personal God. One who actually cares when you're hurt. One who cares when your heart is broken. One who's there to celebrate your victories like the birth of a granddaughter. How incredible. How incredible. He goes on and says this. God blessed them and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and every creature that crawls on the earth. Now, wait a minute. Unless I'm missing something, it seems to me that God thinks pretty highly of us. How about that? Isn't that a, isn't that a contrast? Man's view of himself is I came from a glob of jelly. God's view of man is incredibly high. How high, Dwayne? Listen to two verses. 
in Psalm 139. This is a very familiar passage of Scripture. For it was you, capital Y, it was you who created my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I will praise you because I have been remarkably or fearfully made. Say remarkably and fearfully made. Wow. I was so cool. I went over to Ryan to, have his, you know, to be with his surgery, you know, be with him for his surgery. And I'm sitting there, and the doctor's explaining what's going on, and he had an S1 thing, which is the bottom of your tailbone. And the doctor says, where are you hurting? He goes, well, it goes down this side, comes out the outside of my calf, and really hurts, doctor. And he said, that's the S1 nerve. And that nerve was being pressed on, and that nerve went all the way down to his foot, manifesting itself in pain because of a bulging disc. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. How many thousands and thousands of gallons does the heart pump? How many times and how much air do we breathe? How much skin do we lose? We are so fearfully and wonderfully made. God's crowning creation. Oh, for goodness sake, don't lower yourself to a glob of jelly. And you want to know why abortion's an issue? You want to know euthanasia, euthanasia being an issue now? It's because... Man sees life as without value. That's why. If, if man could understand who he is in the eyes of God, that would take care of abortion, take care of euthanasia, and some other issues. It really would. But now watch this. Watch this. Take this verse home. Write this verse down. It's Psalm 8 and verses 3 through 5. Listen to this. When I consider your heaven, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have ordained. What is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you visit him? Now watch this. For you have made him a little lower than the angels. That's pretty good, isn't it? It's better than that. Now, now, be careful with this truth I'm fixing to share with you. As you know, the Hebrews had a really hard time making God personal. And, and often, they came up with a name for God, okay, that they could say because the real name of God they wouldn't say. Okay? So, in Hebrew tradition, that's the translation. Made him a little lower than the angels. Are you ready? You know, the, you know what the Hebrew word is? I mean, can, not, not, not can be interpreted as, or one of the meanings is. You know what the Hebrew word for that word angel is? Elohim. The name for God. So God's word, say God's word. Not, not some feel-good person. I think it's Norman Vincent Peale, you know, who, who says, you know, I feel good about yourself. Not, not, not Joe Olstein. God said. God said. If I can find it again. There we go. I'm over here now. All right. For you have made him, you ain't going to like this, a little lower than God. And you have crowned him with glory and honor. The reason I say you don't like that because you want to push back. That's how God sees you. You are not a glob of jelly. 
Now, make no mistake, here's God, and if you're a little bit lower than Him, that's a lot. Don't walk out going, well, now, I'll just go zap a few people. You leave that to God. I'm just telling you, you're a wonderful creation. You are not the product of a glob of jelly, and you're nobody's monkey's uncle. You are created by the Father. So we've met God, and we've met us. Now, it doesn't take long for the bad guy to show up. It doesn't take long. We don't, we're not sure how much time passes, but eventually the bad guy shows up. And here's how it happens. The Bible says, now the serpent was the most cunning, and this is Genesis uh, 3.1. Now the serpent was the most cunning of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. Now, very honestly, probably the serpent, I don't think if you saw Satan right now today, he'd look like a snake. He probably assumed the form of a snake. And spoke to Eve. And remember now, at that point, there was no repulsion to animals of any sort. The, the lions laid down with the lamb. Okay? A, a, a talking snake may have been a little, little bit unusual. I don't know about that. But probably a form. He said, well, Dwayne, can Satan do that? Listen to this. Second Corinthians eleven fourteen fifteen. 15. And no wonder, Paul says, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. So even in New Testament times... Satan can transform himself into different forms, and certainly so did in a snake. All right? Now, here's my question. Of, now, this is important. Don't miss this. Of all the things that God could introduce about the evil one, and by the way, if you want to know his beginning, let me give you two scriptures. The Bible tells us where Satan came from. Write these down. Isaiah 14, 12 through 15. Isaiah 14, 12 through 15. Ezekiel 28, 11 through 15. Ezekiel, 28, 11 through 15. So, of all the things that God has told us about the evil one, what did he tell us? The serpent was more subtle, more cunning, more deceptive. He could have said, now the serpent is the most evil creature there is. He could have said... The, the serpent is a very powerful creature, not compared to me, but compared to you, he's very powerful. But he didn't. When, when God's word introduces the evil one, he says he is a deceiver. You need to know that. Satan messes with us today. He is so subtle. He is so cunning. He is so good at what he does. He is a pot-stirring man, animal, creature, creation. Beware of that. And what he does is he wants to plant doubt and distort truth. Well, look what he does. Did, did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? Did God really say that? And of course, God didn't. God said, now there's one tree you can't eat of. There's one. You have all the rest. But did God really say? And to this day, he's getting people to doubt God, even believers. Did God really say? Now, come on now. If God really loves you, wouldn't he do this for you? 
If God really cared, wouldn't he do that? Doesn't God understand you're human so you can do this and this and this contrary to his word? Doesn't God, doesn't God, why don't God, this God? He's good at what he does. And he was real good that day. Here is Eve in a perfect environment. No pain, no suffering, no sorrow. Did God really say, yeah, but, yeah, yeah, but, bottom line is, of her own volition, her own will, she reaches up and takes a piece of the fruit, being true to the word of God, we have no idea it was an apple, probably was not an apple, and bites the fruit. It wasn't biting the fruit. It was disobeying God. Well, Dwayne, why did God even, why did God give her that freedom? Because he wanted his crown creation to have the choice to obey or disobey. If God wanted robots, he could have made robots. But he wanted an intelligent creation that willfully worshipped him. And Eve was deceived, and then Adam followed suit. You know the story. From that day on, this world has been imperfect. And that's why there's cancer. And that's why Donnie Billman went to the, nur- to the funeral home this week. And Terry, that's why you go to the nursing home. That's why there are hospitals. That's why there are empty wombs. That's why there are broken hearts. That's why. And frankly, short of starting all over again, which probably would have been fair, God did something else. God made a promise. And we find way in the beginning of Genesis chapter 3 and verse number 15, the introduction of the Lord Jesus Christ. The promise of a Savior. The promise of of God providing a way that even though fellowship and relationship had been broken, that it could be restored through blood. Look at Genesis 3.15. I will put hostility. Now, you need to understand something. Hostility. There's a state of hostility. There is a state of war. Say a state of war. There is a state of war between Satan and God. There is a state of war between Good and evil. Okay? There's a spiritual state of war between light and darkness. So God says in Genesis 3.15, there exists a state of war, and he says, between you and the woman, and more clearer, between your seed and her seed. There's a state of war between Satan and his demons, And all those who oppose God. Between that and Jesus Christ and his church. I'm telling you, the church does not recognize that there is a state of war. When I say church, let me be clear, I'm not talking about this building. I'm talking about every person redeemed by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are a soldier in the Lord's army, and we are at war against Satan. We're not at war against other people. We're certainly not at war against each other, but we are at war against Satan, against evil. 
I'm telling you, just like in World War II, this country rose to the, to the cause and they got on a wartime footing and people sacrificed and people gave and people served and people lived and people died and people were wounded in the war. But ultimately victory came. And I'm telling you this. In this simple verse, we see a promise and we see an outcome. But we've got to be willing to sacrifice. We've got to be willing to pay the price. We've got to be willing to serve and perhaps die and perhaps be wounded in the fray. But in this verse, we see the outcome. The Word of God says that He will strike your head. Hey, serpent. Hey, Satan. This, this woman's seed, a little baby we just celebrated last week, God became flesh. He will strike your head. One of my secretaries, we gave him a book for Christmas. And she said, you know how I do it? And I said, what? She said, I read the end of the book. And she was just fourth reading the whole thing. I'm saying I both thought that was kind of weird, but hey. Well, at this time, may I just challenge you? You might want to go ahead and get out the book of Revelation. Read, come on now, read the end of the book. And God is victorious, and all those who walk with Christ share in that great victory. We are victorious in Christ. You, Satan, will spend eternity in a lake of fire forever and ever and ever. And yes, those who choose to follow you, and yes, all the angels and demons that fell with you, yes, it's going to happen. And nothing he can do can change that. He can't muster enough mm, to go against holy God. It's done. We're just waiting on the time. But the Word of God also says, and you will strike his heel. Now, head wounds have a great possibility of being fatal and spiritually fatal for Satan. But heel wounds are not. But, but God's saying, this, this seed of, of woman, this little baby, it's going to be wounded. Not fatally. God was looking thousands of years forward. After his son was born, and after he lived a sinless life, and after Satan was allowed to be a puppet in God's hands and set in motion his crucifixion, God was looking forward to this cross where his son would be nailed and who would die who would say, it is finished. Who would say, I give up my spirit. I have power to lay my life down, and I have power to pick it up again. Jesus Christ would be wounded. A wound that caused his physical death. And they put him in a tomb. Have y'all read this part of the story? I said, have y'all read this part of the story? And three days later, death could hold him no more. All the powers of hell, all the forces of the demons, even Satan himself could not keep our Savior in the grave. He lived. He lives. Christ Jesus lives 
today. Yes, he's going to strike your head and you may wound him, but you can't keep a good man down. You can't keep a good man down. And then, God in his wonderful way gives Adam and Eve something tangible for that promise. He he could have said, y'all go down to Leafs Unlimited and get you some new leaves and put on. Y'all, y'all need more than one set of leaves. Because you know, the Bible says they made leaves to cover their nakedness. You know what God did? Look, look at verse 21. And the Lord God made clothing out of skins for Adam and his wife. And he clothed them. First death in the Bible. An animal had to die for those skins, for God to have those skins. Blood was shed that their nakedness could be covered. And Brent, they're looking way in the future to a day when blood would be shed that we could have forgiveness of sins. Without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sins. So already in Genesis, his story, our story, that God, all-powerful, all-knowing, that God loved, that God created His crowning glory who chose to rebel against Him and fellowship was broken. But God made a way that here we are in 2012 for us to come to relationship with Him. How incredible is that? Now I know you've already figured out probably that we're going to be in the Old Testament a whole lot for the first five or six months of this year. And my intentions for a couple of reasons are to always leave you with the New Covenant. And there's, oh, you could go on a zillion places here. But there's a great verse in Hebrews, chapter 10, it's on your sermon sheet, verse 11 and 12. God later established a sacrificial system. Not, not that it could ever take away sin. In fact, this verse says that. It was looking forward to the day when this sacrifice would be made. It's a typology of that sacrifice. Every priest stands day after day ministering and offering the same sacrifices time after time, which can never take away sins. The rams and the goats that were offered could never remove sin. It simply was a typology looking for a sacrifice that would. Verse 12. But this man, who's that man? Say Jesus. But this man, after offering one sacrifice for sins forever set down at the right hand of God. I love this. Do you know when you sit down? When it's finished. Right on Brent. When the job is done. When, when the sacrifice is complete. He ascended back to the Father after he resurrected. And the Bible says... He's sitting there 
next to God the Father at the right hand in the position of authority. And if you're visiting here today and you're not in this God stuff very much, this may be seem a little far fetched. This whole stuff may sound far fetched. I don't know. It makes sense to me. But one way, God the Father is going to look to his right side and say, Son, go get your children. Go get your children. And he's going to come back, to, or actually, going to come in the clouds, but he's coming back. And the dead in Christ are going to rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up in the air with them. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Now that's a story. That's a story. You find one better than that. From Genesis to Revelation. From Alpha to Omega. From beginning to the end. Find a better story than that. And the plot is intense. As we weave ourselves through the Word of God this year, there are some, well, you heard some crazy stories in the genealogy of Jesus. Great stories. Great, listen, listen. Great application for your life today. The book really is His story. And yes, the book is history because it's true. But the book is for today. And I promise you, I promise you, I promise you, as we teach and as you apply and as you read at home every day the Word of God, six days a week you'll have the opportunity to read the Word of God. The reading guides are back there. As you memorize scriptures, as Brother Brent leads us throughout 2012 and others lead us, memorizing scripture, as you apply that to your lives, it will make a difference. But it's got to begin here. It's got to begin here. There's one way to, to God. And it's through His Son, Jesus Christ. The verse, I'm sure it's one of our memory verses. I know it is. John 14, 6. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. It's not church. It's not doing good. It's thou shalt, thou shalt not. No, it's not. It's the blood. It's the blood. The, the wages of sin was death. And we deserve each one to die. Physically and spiritually. We're already dead spiritually. But he paid the price. And just like I held that gift out, Blake, I held that gift out for, for Blake. All you have to do is take it. All you have to do is receive it. And today, you can begin the greatest journey of your life. And please, I want to make it crystal clear to you. Don't confuse it. Don't confuse it with rules, this, that, better than other people, going to church. It's a personal relationship. And with the relationship comes power. With the relationship comes authority. Relationship comes purpose. And that's what God is offering today. In just a moment, Brother Brent's going to be standing down front. And we'll give you the opportunity to walk up and take him by the hand and say, okay, Brent, I want, I want this. What Brother Dwayne talked about, I want my journey to include God. And we have some friends, and we'll take the Word of God. There's no mystical, magical uh, Baptist stuff. We'll take the Word of God and show you how you can have relationship with God. Can't walk out in front of a couple hundred people, 250 people today? Give us a call. Give us a call. Give us a call at church office, 252-1862. Mine is 499-0070, and you're I've got your own speed dial. (laughs) Just say, Abram, what's your cell phone number? All right? 
We want to make it available. Find a friend. Can't talk to preachers? Find a Jesus follower and say, I want to have what you've got. I want what you've got. Would you bow your heads right there? Boy, God's good. What a great story. Now, Father, in Jesus' name, I come to you. I am so incredibly overwhelmed with your goodness. When I think about how easy it would have been for me to just throw everything in the trash and start over again. But you didn't. You made a way. You made a way through your son. It cost you so much. You became flesh, God. You allowed yourself to be nailed to a cross and to die. Then as proof that you were God, Jesus, you resurrected on the third day. And the tomb is empty today to prove it. For my friends and my brothers and sisters, the best way I know how, God, for my friends here who may not know Jesus, please speak to their hearts. I know, God, your word says, Jesus himself said that, that no one comes to me, Jesus, unless my Father draw them. Not emotion, not I'm in a pickle, but recognition that we have sinned and that we will come back into relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ. For my friends, oh, Father, help us to apply Your precious Word. As we journey, I pray God will make a commitment to read Your Word. We'll make a commitment to study Your Word, to memorize Your Word, and to allow it to have its wonderful effect on our life. And in so doing, discover the power, the freedom that you want for your children. Thanks, God, for this time together. And Jesus, I pray in your precious name.